forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! This is it. This is how a podcast starts. Um, Chris Landon, thanks so much for chatting with me. Um, I'm such a fan of your work. I've been wanting to have you on for years. This is great. Oh. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be here virtually for you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll start as we've done um, all these podcasts in the past six, seven months. How are you holding up? <laughs> I, I'm pretty good. I mean, I think I, I, I'm, I join the ranks of millions of other people who are, you know, have been trying to find a balance. Um, and it's weird to still be trying to find that balance when we've had, you know, a solid, I don't know, seven months to figure this out. But, um, you know, it's the whole, how do I work from home um, with kids um, and sort of managing all that stuff. And it's also weird for me because as a, as a writer, um, I've never written from home. Really? I, like my How have you gotten away with that? Um, because I do what other sort of cliched writers do. I go to coffee shops. Um, I've always done the coffee shop thing and I, and it's, it's because home, I always wanted to have some sort of separation between, between my work life and my private life and my home life. So, um, you know, it's, I've, I've always been happier going somewhere to get the writing done and to get the work done so that when I come home, I'm not like a, a, you know, 10 feet away from a space where I could be working because then I sort of guilt myself and feel bad that I'm not working all the time. Um, and this has forced me to try and sort of manage that and, and figure out how to do that. So it's been really tough. It's been really tough. And yeah, I think so a lot what... too, like went through, um, you know, it's weird. It's like, you would think that like being forced to like, be at home all the time would put you in a really sort of creative zone. Like I, I, I've assumed that everyone I know is writing some sort of an opus and I'm the loser who's not getting anything done. Um, but it turns out, I think a lot of people feel that way still. So what have, what have you found uh, as far as what have you found works as far as setting boundaries? Um, not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. It's um, hard. It's really it, hard. It is hard. I, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, I will, I, where before I had a very, I think a very sort of regimen kind of regimented schedule. Um, you know, now I just grab pockets of time where I can, um, because, you know, it's between like kids napping or, you know, their meals or, um, just other stuff that's going on. Um, so it's definitely kind of little sprints as yeah. opposed to, like these nice long sessions that I used to have. Um, and you've got Freaky coming out um, as of when we release this, it'll be out, I think that week. Where were you in the process of making that when, you know, back in February, March? Right. So um, when everything shut down, we were, I was deep, deep, deep into post-production. Um, I was still in my, um, in my director's cut, um, you know, which is the sort of part of the, of the editing process where it's just sort of your putting together a pretty rough version of the movie. Um, 
And so there were a lot, a ton of outstanding um, elements and things that we had to do, you know, virtually, which is, which was new for all of us, you know, from working with, with Bear McCreary, um, uh, my composer to all of the visual effects, um, title design, everything. So it was definitely an interesting process, but thankfully, um, you know, it was cool because like, I can do that, you know, you can do those things in, in a pandemic, you know? Um, and so there was a lot of remote editing at first. And then eventually my editor and I were able to open shop back up and then sit in a room together, but we were both sort of being tested regularly and so forth and trying to sort of keep our pods very tight. Um, so that we could do that because it does, there is a different kind of energy um, mm-hmm. when, when you're with someone and really kind of figuring stuff out together. So um, I was grateful that I was able to do that. And I'm grateful that I have a movie that's in the can um, right now when, you know, cause it's really tough. It's really tough out there. And so I feel very, very lucky and grateful to, to, to have something that I can share with people in the middle of all this. For sure. Um, before we get into more on Freaky, which I really do want to hear about, um, are you, are your reps or our producers you've worked with or anyone like, are people looking to you right now to go out and sell more stuff, to write more stuff? Like what's expected of you? You know, it's interesting. I, I don't think I was really prepared for um, the amount of work that came at me. And in, in during this whole thing, because um, I don't know, I just assumed that everybody was kind of just in sort of survival mode. And and lo and behold, there were all these companies and places that wanted that had such a huge appetite for for product and or at least for for to get writing going. Um, and I think part of that is because everyone needed to kind of in some capacity, keep the machine moving forward, even if it's the illusion of it moving forward. Um, and so I, I kind of felt like there was like a certain like panicked call to busyness that happened. And so apart from like, I've, I've taken on quite a few writing gigs, um, probably more than I should have um, during this in my own sort of reactive panic to the situation. Mm where I was like, Oh my God, I may not direct a movie for a really long time. So I better figure out a way to make some money and, and take on some writing gigs. Um, no offense to all the wonderful people I'm working with. I'm very very excited to be doing everything I'm doing right now. Um, so there was that. And then also like, just like an, an insane amount of like general meetings and like zooms and things that people wanted to do. And again, I kind of feel like part of that's sort of, we got it. We got to look busy. Um, but it's been fun too. Like it's been a, it has been an interesting time. Um, and I've taken on a a few really different things that I may not have, have, have considered. Um, so I, again, I feel lucky. Um, and I am, and I'm definitely in a good, good place with that. So, um, so that's been cool. Yeah, the the few different things is really interesting to me. And I think a lot of us are sort of taking this time, whether it's, you know, on spec or for producers or whatever, to kind of stretch out and and try these things that we might not have tried in the past. I'm wondering what, you know, I feel like Happy Death Day um, is such a singular vision 
Um, it, you know, it's, it's, this is your movie and no one else could have made this movie um, with, the, with the folks you made it with. Um, I wonder what people come to you expecting or looking for when you're asked to pitch on projects or like, what's, what's the Chris Landon what's my thing brand? that they, well, what, what do they think it is? You know, it's funny. I, I would like to believe, I mean, I would like to believe that it's character focused horror, um, usually with comedic elements. Um, so it's not, not necessarily, a lot of the stuff that comes my way is not always horror comedy. Um, but a lot of the stuff that comes my way, um, especially kind of in the, um, in sort of the rewriting space, Mm -hmm. you know, when they want me to kind of come in and help them out with something, um, it tends to be very genre focused, but usually like there's a, um, they want, they want a lot of character work. They want to sort of understand who these people are a little bit better and, and, and hopefully sort of create some more likable characters. Um, and so I think that's kind of, you know, that's, that's how people see me. Um, I, um, and it's interesting. I, and I don't get a whole, like the stuff that comes my way, um, is like I said, it's mostly horror, horror thrillers, um, the occasional comedy. Um, someone thinks I'm funny out there. Um, but not many people, (laughs) Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, do you, I mean, this seems like this, this sort of combination of horror and comedy, this sort of character first kind of storytelling for both of those genres Mm -hmm. has been part of your interests from the get go. Mm -hmm. Um, where does that come from? What's the stuff that you, you know, grew up loving or, or maybe it just, you know, comes naturally. I mean, I think it's, I think part of the story is, is the more obvious one, which is like, I grew up on a lot of the sort of the, the, the general sort of staples that we, that any kid of the eighties grew up with. So it was a lot of, of Spielberg, a lot of Amblin, um, a lot of Zemeckis, um, a lot of John Hughes. And those are, those are filmmakers and, and, um, things that I reach back to often in, in, in my movies. Um, and, but then there was sort of this whole other side that was like really obscure, random, fucked up horror stuff. Um, and I had a steady diet of that too. So it was- What, I, I was, what was that stuff? I mean, I rented all kinds of weird shit when I was a kid. And, and it's great to even say I rented. <laughs> um, you know, just old weird movies. Like I dismember mama and microwave massacre and like stuff that was just, you know, it was B movie stuff at its finest. Um, you know, all the sleepaway camps. Um, and then like, you know, the classic stuff too, all the classic horror films, which I, I grew up loving, you know, everything that John Carpenter did, um, you know, and so forth. So there was a lot of, a lot of that, but I, I, I think in terms of like, I was really inspired, inspired at a pretty young age by filmmakers who made genre films, but with characters that were so fully formed and relatable. I was so drawn to those things. And I remember like the experience of going, going to the movies and seeing Poltergeist um, 
and being so blown away by that film and the investment, the level of investment that I felt in those characters and that family. Um, the, you know, when I, the, my all time favorite movie going experience um, when I went and saw aliens, the Cameron version on opening night um, and hearing the audience react to that film and literally watching people like jump out of their seats, cheering for, for Ripley um, like that stuff had a huge impact on me. And it's not necessarily the stuff that I make, but it's, but it's, there is a line that you can draw, I think from those films to mine in terms of like how I wanted people to embrace the characters that I write and relate to them and fall in love with them the way that I fell in love with those people and those movies. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But so we can use freaky as an example. Um, when you sit down to tackle a project, what does the process look like? Are you working from, you know, a concept? Are you working from a character inside out? Yeah. I mean, it's different every time, which is what's mm -hmm. kind of interesting about it all. I mean, typically, I, you know, typically I write alone. Um, and so Freaky was, that was a first for me. It was the, literally the very first time outside of working in television that I actually sat down with another writer from scratch and, and wrote a script. Um, so for me, process wise, I always start, um, and wherever the idea comes from, be it something just that pops into my head, um, Disturbia was, for example, an idea that I had when I was stuck in traffic on, on, on the freeway. Um, and I was listening to NPR and there was a story, um, this is also a long time ago, but there was a story about, uh, Martha Stewart and her house arrest that was on. And that's what started that. That was like sort of the, the aha light bulb that turned on in my head. Um, and then what I typically do is I start to, to just outline, um, I just start to kind of write the story and I write everything in a very linear fashion. Um, and typically it kind of really flows if it's good, it flows. Um, and I will find that within a few days, I will, I will get to the end of the movie, um, just in freehand writing it in a, in a notebook. Um, and then I tend to double back and really start to dissect what I've, what I've written and then start to really kind of explore the character stuff and sort of, you know, what there's, what their internal sort of situations are in their lives and, and so forth. And then, and then once I've, gotten all that down and it typically kind of turns into a really detailed, quite a dense document. Um, then I actually start to write the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I find that especially when I'm writing stuff by hand, I tend to just sort of like, there's a lot of cool discovery there and there's a lot that I'm just trying to get down. And so when I finally get to the actual, you know, I'm writing something in final draft, um, it's, it's almost like I'm just transcribing at that point. Um, yeah. I've written most of the movie already. Um, but there's still things that I find along the way. And then of course, there's just the whole, the whole rewriting process, you know, which um, it's funny. I, earlier in my career, I dreaded rewriting. Um, it was, it was, I actually just sometimes would, try to avoid it and tell myself like, it's great. it's great. I can send this out. It's great. I can turn this in. Um, and then over the years I've come to really love it. Um, 
and to appreciate it and sort of the, that, I mean, it's the, and really, uh, fully embrace the fact that like that first draft is really just the tip of the iceberg, the beginning, and that there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work usually to do. There are a few cases where I've been able to kind of get something down and do it mostly the first time, but not many. <laughs> what do you think has changed? Why do you think the embrace of rewrites has emerged for you? I think what changed for me was I found, you know, I think a lot of it changed when I was writing the paranormal activity movies. Um, I think it was being working inside of a franchise where we made a film every year um, and the sheer amount of rewriting that I did for those movies. And a lot of that was, was situational and circumstantial, um, but also out of general necessity. But I wrote like tons and tons. I mean, it was really funny. Our, um, we had a, a, like a script coordinator on all those movies and they would keep track of like all the pages I wrote. And I remember on like, Oh my God, I think it was like paranormal three. I ended up writing something like 1400 pages or something like that. Um, so there was a lot of rewriting and it was because things changed on a dime or the story would change and evolve. And we workshopped those movies a lot. And so in that experience, I, I was constantly, constantly rewriting. And I did that for the better part of five years. Um, and so it was in that, in that experience, I think that I really began to see how much more you can peel back and discover as you continue to rewrite things. And so now, um, Whereas before I would get very defensive and protective of, of the work. And, and then when I would get notes from executives, um, I would, I would kind of try to fight it and get really sort of pissy. Um, I've just learned to appreciate it a lot more. And also I have to give credit to the work that I've done with, with Blumhouse and with Jason um, because they have a really unique situation for filmmakers whereby you as long as you work within a certain budget level um any of the notes that you get be it from the company or the studio are take it or leave it notes none of them are mandatory or required for you to do and that is a practice that every studio and company should employ because it is very liberating and empowering. Um, I think it makes filmmakers and writers specifically much more receptive to the notes and that process because you don't feel like you have a gun to your head and that you, that you cannot steer your own ship. And I think that happens a lot in the process, especially when you work for, for studios. And, um, you know, I think a lot of personalities in the room and a lot of opinions, um, and you can lose your way. You can lose your voice because you're so busy trying to service everybody else um, that you just kind of lose sight of the bigger picture. And I found that working with Jason and with Blumhouse and being able to sort of say no to things um, really helped me stay focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and like you said, I think I think it helps you say yes to. Good notes. A lot more. And recognize. A lot more. Yeah. You're so much more receptive when you when you don't have to do it. You know, <laughs> because that's that's it's you just yeah, you just hear it with a different set of ears. Um yeah. and see things differently. So it's it, that's been great too. 
Um, and it happened a lot on Freaky, you know, where we got stuff and sometimes they're, the notes are about, are very budget connected. And so you have to kind of figure stuff out if you want to make the movie. Um, and other times there were just notes that like, you know, sometimes they were great. And sometimes there were things that I just did not agree with. And it's nice to say no. Sure. Um, let's talk about um, Freaky for a sec. Uh, what... What was the kernel of this and how did you wind up with a co-writer on it? So, um, I, so the other writer, Michael Kennedy, um, I met Michael when, when I was invited to do a, a podcast, um, that he, um, that he and a, a group of people do that's called, um, attack of the queer wolf. Um, it's great. It's super fun. Um, and, um, so we became fast friends. Um, you know, we both grew up watching horror movies are both obsessed with horror movies. Um, and he has a really sharp sense of humor. He's a fun person. And so, um, he had a pitch that he was going to go out with and he was a little bit nervous and wanted to practice it. And so he asked me if I would stop by his office and if I would sort of just listen to it and give him notes. So I sat down and he said, okay, so, um, it's called killer body. Um, and he goes, and it's basically freaky Friday the 13th. And I just like immediately was like, okay, stop. Um, and I said to him, lose killer body. It sounds like something that you would find like in the bad bin of like, you know, straight to beauty, whatever. Um, and I was like, freaky Friday the 13th is your title. Like you've said everything you could possibly need to say about this movie right there. Um, and so he started pitching me the movie and I kept interrupting him and saying, no, 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 no. We got to try this. And, gotta, and then we both started, you know, got into this whole quick back and forth with it. And then I just kind of knew that I wanted to do it with him, but I didn't want to push my way into it. And then at the end of the meeting, he was like, would you want to do this with me? And I was like, fuck yeah. Um, and that was really it. It was, it was this funny random because I, I genuinely was not planning on writing another movie that was sort of like a genre mashup, you know, or like a remix, you know, kind of thing. Um, but what I, what I loved and what I always look for when I'm trying to figure out what I want to do um, was the, obviously there's a really clean idea. I like a good hook. Um, and I like, and what I fell in love with, with happy death day was very similar to what I fell in love with. Um, and freaky was, it was an idea that I thought was very clean and easy for people to get, but moreover at the center of it for me was the potential and the idea of, of, of a character, like a really interesting character you could explore. And I loved the idea of where, you know, we're in happy death day. That was a movie about a really selfish person who's forced to repeat the same day over and over again in order to take inventory of, of, of her life and then to sort of, and then to change. Um, and that the way that you behave in the world and the way that you treat others matters. So I like to Trojan horse these kind of like nice themes in really fucked up dark movies. Um, and in Freaky, I saw the opportunity to tell the story about a girl, a very shy codependent girl who never really sticks up for herself and never does what she wants to do. She lives for other people. 
And it's only when she inhabits somebody else's body that she begins to really sort of take ownership of her life um, and, and, you know, do things for herself. Um, so I was really drawn to that. And I also just, the idea that like, this was a weird collision of movies, like the idea of taking a very sweet, cute, traditionally kind of, you know, Disney-ish idea and then mashing that together with a really violent slasher movie that just was too good of an opportunity to, to pass <laughs> for me. Absolutely. Did you guys go through the pitch process on it or did you wind up writing no. it? No. So we were going to, and that was our plan. And our plan was to go around and pitch the movie to a bunch of places. Um, and funny enough, Michael had already had already given the one liner to Blumhouse before I was involved. Um, and and they had said something to the effect of, we've seen this idea a lot, um, but come back to us. <laughs> and this is one of those funny things that happened to me on Happy Death Day as well, which was, you know, there, there are these ideas for movies that are kind of out there, you know? So a lot of these companies that are focused on one thing will see 10 different versions of the same thing. Um, and so I guess they had seen a bunch of versions of this come through, but they'd all sucked. Um, and so I don't think there was a lot of excitement there, um, but we were like, fuck it, let's try it. Um, but then once we, I had to give the script to Blumhouse first, just because of my relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And so our plan was write it on spec and then go out to a bunch of places with it. And then we gave it to Blumhouse first as a courtesy. So we gave it to them on a Friday afternoon. And then we said on Monday, we're going to go wide with the script and go to a bunch of other places. But by Friday night, Blumhouse had come back and said, um, we will do this right now. We will automatically green light the movie right now if you <laughs> just let us do it. And so we did. And that was it. Like we were, I was in pre-production on Monday on the movie. Wow. So it was the fastest turnaround I've ever had in my life. That's yeah. crazy. It was truly crazy. But that, again, is the power of Jason Blum he is a person who can do that. Like he can read something, sorry, I'm throwing things around the room. Um, he can, he can, he can read something on a Friday and, and you're in production on, on a Monday. Um, and so I think it made, made everyone's head spin a little bit. Um, but it was great because, you know, Michael and I got to write the script together, which was a really fun process for me too, by the way, it was pure enjoyment. Um, there was no butting heads. We had a really clean and easy process that I really enjoyed. Um, and it was so That's nice. Great. We did it. We wrote it in like a month, like with, with rewrites. Um, so it was fast. Everything about it was fast. Um, and thank God it was because we finished right at the end of, of 2019. Oh, wow. Um, we, yeah, we finished shooting mid mid late december 2019 um and if we hadn't moved at that pace i was moving at that pace intentionally i was expecting my second child and he was due <laughs> mid december so i was like i need to be fucking done with this or i'm not going to make another movie for a while because i want to be home and i want to be with my be with my kid um so it just kind of everything lined up perfectly and by the way yeah. we wrapped the movie um and then I, and then I 
three days later, my son was born. So oh my like, gosh. like nick of time, nick of time. It was wow. Great. Yeah. Sorry. That's bonkers. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you're right though, that there is something that you get from a place like Blumhouse where like it is, it's still an independent studio, right? Like you can get that quick turnaround. If the guy in charge likes it, then you get that quick yes, which is, that's really exciting. You don't get that anywhere else. I think. No, I'm, I'm in the middle of like, I've been trying to get this. I have another project that I've been trying to get made for better part of three years now. Like it's been a constant struggle and a battle and you know, it's ongoing. Like when I, when we end this, 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 this podcast, I'm going to go back and keep working on that movie again. So, so, so how do you keep going on something like that? You have to love it enough. You have to love it enough. I, I have always been in love with this particular project. Um, it's based on a short story. Um, I've never aggressive. I really aggressively pursued this. Um, and, um, and I'm just sort of like holding out hope, um, that it's going to happen. Um, but there have been projects that I've fought hard for, but then eventually you lose steam or you just kind of, you're, you're sort of the, the, the fire sort of dims because the process sometimes is grueling and you can't see eye to eye with certain people. I've, I've got another project that I was really excited about. Um, and the producer and I just did not click. We just did not click. We were, we were trying to make two completely different movies. Um, and, and that's just a reality that happens. The, I think the lesson I've learned, if there's anything that I can sort of take away from it is that typically whenever I have sold a pitch, it's gone South because I just don't have, there's too many people weighing in at the ground level. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I now, as a general rule, I will only spec things. I will only write them and then try to sell them. And I'm fine with the investment, you know, and the cost of that. If I, if it, if it doesn't sell, I'd rather do that and know and go into a place and say, this is the movie I would like to make. Are you with me? You know, because otherwise I don't really see it's just exhausting. It's an exhausting thing. And I don't, I don't want to have to, I've, I've had too many things that I love to go, go South because people just weren't aligned, you know, and, what, I, and, what, and it's, what's crazy to me too, which is this whole bait and switch of it all, which is like, I have, I've written the entire pitch, like nothing changed. Like it was the pitch. I wrote it. And then they come in and they're like, yeah, but like, we want to do it this way now. And I'm like, Oh, you know, while your brain's out on the wall. So yeah, don't, I do not like pitching things generally, generally. Yeah. If you can get on the page, the thing that you intend, especially, I mean, your work, I feel like tone is so important. Yeah, um, which is something I wanted to talk about specifically in regards to Happy Death Day and and Happy Death Day to you. Um, that tone seems so tough to convey. Uh, it walks such a great line, uh, not even between horror and comedy, but with horror and drama and character stuff and comedy and like everything on. is in there, it's which makes it so satisfying. 
Um, were there conversations about this even, you know, as you started to go into production? Um, I don't think that there were necessarily conversations. Um, I think it was people kind of crossing their fingers and saying, God, I hope this works because they, it was on the page. You know, when I, Mm -hmm. when I brought, because happy death day was a really unique situation. Um, and the backstory there, and I'll give you the quick version is, um, it was a film that almost 10 years ago was set up at a company called Rogue, which was a genre division of Universal that's now defunct. Um, And they were in very, very, very soft prep. Um, And the script had been written by Scott Lobedell. Um, And so Rogue hired me to rewrite the script because they felt like it needed character work and dialogue work. I read the script and I was kind of a dick about it Um, and went into them and said, I think it needs a giant overhaul. Um, and so they actually, and I pitched them a bunch of, a bunch of things and they said, yes. And so I went and just kind of essentially like, it was almost like it was a page one rewrite. Um, so, so let me stop you there to dig yeah. in for a little bit, cause this is not going to be the short version. Um, right. what was that stuff? Like what was there and what did you feel like it needed? And I know this was a while ago now. So it was a while ago. So it was, the concept was there. Mm-hmm. It was clear as day. It was great. I was like the horror version of Grand Hog Day. Great. Sign me up. Um, and the, and some of the characters were there. So tree was there. Um, and, um, but it lacked, there were a bunch of things I didn't think that it, that it had, it didn't have, um, her arc was not well defined. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't really know who she was outside of her being kind of a bitch. Um, I didn't really understand her journey or why she was this unpleasant person. Um, and so when I stepped into it, I gave her this sort of backstory, this sort of, you know, this, her mother had passed away. She shared her birthday with her mother. And so this day is actually like the worst day for her. She hates this day. And it's the day that she's been running away from ever since. Um, and And in the original script, um, she always woke up in her sorority room with at her sorority house. And I wanted her to wake up in a stranger's bed in a dorm. Um, and so, and there was the character of Carter existed, but he was like a tiny, tiny role that I think he only had one or two scenes. And I decided to make him a love interest and that she would wake up in his dorm room. Um, and I don't even think it was her birthday in the original script. Um, but I could be wrong. Um, it was a long time ago, but anyways, I did this big, a big rewrite. Um, and then, and then Rogue got shut down. And so the movie just languished. And, um, several years later I was having lunch with the producer and she said, Angela Mancuso and Angela said, Oh, what a bummer that we never got to make that movie. And I was just like, wait a minute. I'm crazy. I'm an idiot. The movie's sitting at Universal. Jason's deal is at Universal. And Jason and I had already been working on all the paranormals and had been sending me stuff to, to direct. And I kept turning stuff down. So I brought the script to him and they read it. And then it was another one of those, like they read it on a Friday. They called me on a Monday and they said, let's make this. Um, and so everybody, everybody was down with what it was. I actually did very little 
rewriting. I had written several drafts when I was working for, for, for Rogue. And even after that, when we had tried to set the movie up one other place and I did another draft. And so when we finally got going on it with Universal and Blumhouse, I made some more changes. Um, but a lot of that was more sort of production focused changes. Um, and, um, but everyone knew what it was. And so I think when, in terms of tone, to circle back, in terms of tone, everyone was like, okay, this is unusual, but let's try it because it's fun to read. So if it's fun to read, it's probably going to be fun to watch. Um, and that's how we kind of approached it. And I think we were, Universal was incredibly smart in how they sold that movie um, because they leaned into the horror elements completely. Mm -hmm. they, they all but hid the fact that it was funny and had a romantic spine um, and just made it look like a horror film. And, but then I think when people saw the film, what ultimately sort of set it apart from a lot of other films was that it was those other things. Um, and, and then I made the sequel, which was an even bigger, weirder swing. I actually shifted genres and slightly shifted tone, which is not something that you typically do with a sequel. Um, but I did not want to, I wanted, I didn't want to make the same movie twice. And that was the whole point of, of happy death day to you was that I was, it was almost in some ways a parody of the sequel. Like I was winking at the audience saying it's the same movie, but it's a completely different story now. Um, and I wanted to make a weird, like it was my weird science. It was my, you know, it was my eighties sci-fi you know gonzo movie um and again when i wrote when i pitched the idea to blumhouse and to universal everybody was like that's crazy but it sounds really fun and then everyone really enjoyed the script and so we just kind of kept rolling with the tone yeah um, and um it was a the second one was a a bit of a disappointment in terms of box office just because the first movie was so much more successful. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but we were all really proud of the movie. That's yeah. yeah I was going to ask, I mean, is it still the movie you wanted to It's hundred percent? The movie I wanted to make it's hundred percent. The movie I wanted to make, I think, look in hindsight. And I think I speak for a lot of people. I, and I, and a lot of people who were behind this, the, the marketing of the movie have kind of, raised their hand and said, we probably should have done that differently. Hmm. Um, I think they, they leaned, they were leaning into what worked before. Um, sure. And in the process of doing that, they actually failed to tell our audience like why this film was different. Mm -hmm. They hid the sci-fi, they hid all the things that made it quirky and fun and interesting. Um, and they even used the same song from the first trailer. Like it would look like you were watching the same movie again. And so yeah. it was kind of weird and you know, it didn't work. Um, but, but we were really proud of the film. I was really proud of the film. Jessica Roth, I know was super proud of it as well because it was personal, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was very much a personal film for me because it was a meditation about grief. I had lost my mom um, a couple years before I, I wrote that film. Um, and so I was still working through that stuff. And so when you watch the movie, it's very forward. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's really part of what makes 
both the sequel and the original work is like, it feels like it comes from an honest emotional place. Yeah. Yeah. I try to do that in everything. Um, I'm a bit of, it's funny. Like I, I spent, I feel like the first part of my career trying to distance myself from an image that I grew up under. My dad was, my dad was an actor um, and a writer and a director and was known for his family fair um, and was, and was like worshiped for it. You know, he was like America's father and it was like this whole <laughs> thing. And, and so I felt like I had this baggage, this last name um, and this association. And so I was like, I kind of went out into the world very young and, and I would presented myself as like, I'm going to be the dark fucked up black sheep, edgy one. And so everything I wrote for a time was dark and cynical and violent. And then, um, and then I started to kind of just let that, let my guard down a little bit um, and realize that I was a lot more like my father creatively than I wanted to admit to. Um, And so I realized I can be both, you know, I can be a little, I can be sensitive and even um, to some people's measure schmaltzy or whatever um, (laughs) and still, but still be true to the things that I love. And I love horror and I love genre. And so for me, I think if it's funny, like I feel full circle going back to an earlier conversation about like, what's my brand, what's my jam. I think it was like, I could, I could make heartfelt horror um, and get away with it. And -hmm. it's something that I don't think a lot of people have tried to do or, or do. And and it's very much in Freaky as well. Freaky has a very personal, emotional core. Um, and, and even though we're making people laugh and we're killing people in crazy and weird ways, um, there's, there, there's still an emotional center to that film. Um, and that's definitely something that I think I've really enjoyed doing and want to keep doing. Well, it's an interesting thing too, and I think we're we're probably around the same age that you know you come to this yeah, reckoning. <laughs> Listen, you're this you're a young filter. young fella. <laughs> I rub Vaseline all over my face. <laughs> you got that Jessica Lang filter? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, um, but I think there is something that happens, especially to us as writers. You know, when we get to be around forty, where we do start to reckon with like where we come from in our relationship with our parents and they don't have to be uh, an enormous television and film star and director to do that. But we start to sort of like say, maybe it's not so bad that I'm like them. And what are the ways in which I am like them? Yeah. You start to make peace with a lot of things as you, as you get older. And then I have to say, you know, for me, um, I know becoming a parent was a Mm -hmm. big was a big game changer getting married and becoming a parent were both, both big game changers because um, it's funny. Like, it's not like it's changed, like the kind of content that I want to put out there. Like I have to make, you know, like animated sweet films now because my kids are going to see them. Um, it's really funny. Like my son walks around my house sometimes like wearing props from my movies and it's the funniest shit I've ever seen because like he, the other day was wearing like our butcher mask from freaky, you know, he loves, he loves scary things. And it, and it's so cool to me. Um, 
but it definitely has affected the way that I write and the things that I, and also like what I'm drawn to and um, how I try to sort of be choosy about things that I do. Um, because now where before I really just had nothing but time. And now anything that I write or direct is time away from my family. And so I want to, I want it to count. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's start to wrap up. Um, Freaky is out this week as of people hearing this. Um, I'm excited to watch it. You know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm such a fan of your work. Um, I can't imagine the answer is no, but I assume this too is exactly the thing you wanted to put on the screen. Uh, and you're, you're happy with that, uh, how that came out. It is, it is. You, you never know. I think when you sure. kind of step into these things and everything, you just kind of, you're going on gut and sheer force of will and hoping that all the people that you've brought together click. Um, and, um, and it was there. I think there was such chemistry on set and I, and it goes beyond the cast. I mean, it was the crew, mm -hmm. it was everyone. Um, there's a lot of love on that set. And so I think it's, it's up on the screen. I had a, I had an un unbelievably good time working, especially with, with Vince Vaughn and, and Catherine Newton. Um, and um, yeah, it was a cool experience. And I think that if people liked the Happy Death Day movies, I think they're going to really like this movie. Um, and, you know, and at the same time, too, I also acknowledge that it's not for everyone, you know, mm -hmm. and that's OK, too. Um, but if I think it's I think it's a really it's a strange time to release a movie, but it's a really good time to release a movie like this because it is like a truly ridiculous movie. I mean, it is just nuts. And, and I think that if people do want to kind of just sort of have a really, really good time, and I think good times are in short order, um, this is one of them. That's great. That's, that's the best ad I could, I could hear for this. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap up, as we always do, by asking, what are you watching lately? Have you watched any movies that you want to recommend? Have you watched any television, read any books, anything that you're what? excited or inspired by? I mean, I'm watching a lot of kids stuff. <laughs> so that's, How old I'm are not, your kids? I'm not going to get one, into that. One is under a year. I have, How old I have, I have a I have a three year old and a and a ten month old. Um, so I watch a lot of stuff with my three year old son. Yeah. Um, in fact, we just watched Charlotte's Web yesterday together, um, and it's just something I haven't seen in forever, and I probably may have cried. Um, <laughs> but no, and and it's funny, honestly. Um, we, my husband and I, um, are watching game of Thrones. Um, we did not get on that bus. Um, it, and it felt like I had actually started the show right around the time that we met. And he was like, I'm not into that. That's not my bag. And then it just kind of, it just life happened. And then I didn't, we didn't watch it. And then when this whole pandemic thing started, I like just turned to him one day and I was like, this, this is an important thing that we're not a part of that we should be a part of. Like everybody loved this thing. Let's watch it. And I said, if we could just get past a few episodes, I think you're going to be, you're going to be into it. And lo and behold, like, you know, we're now into, we're halfway through season five. We're both obsessed. And what's really fun about it for us is that we a aren't sort of like, we don't have all the emotional baggage that I think came with the experience for people. And we also didn't have to wait for fucking ever for like you know, each season. So like we're plowing through it. 
Um, and, and it's super cool. And I even suspect that by the time we get to the end of it, we're not going to be as pissed off as everybody else was mm -hmm. because we didn't have to wait for that. So it won't be as big of a disappointment, whatever it is. It's like an iceberg that's like out there now for me. But, um, so there's that. Um, so that's really fun. I, there's a lot of stuff I want to see. It's just always about trying to like carve out the time. I did get a chance to see Palm Springs, um, mm -hmm. because I was curious about it. Having, you know, being a time loop person myself, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a, there's no bad groundhog day. Every version, every genre you put on it is great. Yeah. I had a great, I had a great time watching that, that, that film, but, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out. There's a lot of stuff that was just a beyond fest that I was dying to see. So I'm very much looking forward to, and I'm going to plug, you know, um, arch enemy, which is something that I'm, I'm dying to see, um, possessor I'm dying to see. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff that's out there. I just have to like, you know, give my kids Benadryl or something. <laughs> Lock them unconscious so I could watch more stuff. <laughs> that um, seems worth it. That seems totally yeah, worth it. Right? No one's gonna call child services, right? No. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff I would I would I would uh I would love to yeah to, so hopefully that's gonna happen. But right now it's Game of Thrones. Sorry to disappoint <laughs> everybody and sorry we're so like we're we're trend caboose over here, but you know. Enjoy it. You Thank can you. have it. Um Thank thanks so much for chatting, uh Chris. This was Absolutely a pleasure. Please come back and talk to us anytime. 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 I really enjoyed it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.